Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, Don Wilton developed a years-long friendship with the late evangelist Billy Graham, who asked him to be his pastor and to preach at his funeral. In a recent Meeting House conversation, he shared heartwarming observations of his weekly visits with the great preacher, You'll gain a taste ahead. Plus, from the Discovery Institute, Wesley J. Smith weaves what some might consider a tall tale about an unusual request to give rights to inanimate objects, in this case, waterways. That's being proposed in Florida. He'll bring observations and perspective coming up. And on this edition of The Intersection, you'll hear comments from Carolyn Miller, who writes novels set during what is known as the Regency period of British history in the early 19th century. In her most recent work, she highlights a woman who is strong with an independent spirit, but with a dependence on God and a desire to serve Him. Finally, you'll be hearing from Jeff Hunt, who leads the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University, which recently presented a major conference. In our recent conversation, he highlighted important issues in our culture about which Christians need to be aware and to which believers can respond. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. The senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Spartanburg, South Carolina, Don Wilton, joined me recently on The Meeting House program to talk about a special relationship he had as pastor and friend with the late evangelist Billy Graham. He has written a book highlighting some of their times together entitled Saturdays with Billy, My Friendship with Billy Graham. With some inspiring recollections, here is Don Wilton now. If I had one word to describe the person, Billy Graham, I would have to use the word humble, humility. He had a such a beautiful uh, God-like presence. And Bob, and I say this, you know, I can hear Mr. Graham looking at me and not being very pleased with me for saying this. He was so humble. But when I looked at Mr. Graham and when I watched his life, it was as though I was looking at the face of God's grace. Mm. And he, he had such a genuine humility in his heart, in his soul spirit. It came through in the way he prepared. It came through in the questions he asked. It came through in his management, in his leadership. He he had a big organization. I mean, we spent countless hours working on massive programming around the world, Bob. One can only just imagine. And and mm-hmm. it was even the way in which and the way he he dealt with people and people who quote unquote worked for him and and with him. And he had and the people who came to see him, he treated everybody the same. It could have been the local janitor, or it could have been the multi-millionaire from the big corporation, or it could have been the president of the United States. I watched all of these people, and he was the same, the same in his heart. He loved like Jesus, and he reached out with a warmth and an embrace that was so deeply remarkable. Look, Bob, here's the issue. The closer you get to most people, the more you realize they have clay feet. That's true Mm. of all of us. It's true of all of us. But for me, for Don Wilton, 
the closer I was privileged to get to Mr. Graham, and that became extremely intimately close. I don't know that one could have gotten closer than God allowed me to be with him, especially over the last 10 years of his life. And after Miss Ruth Graham had gone to heaven, our intimacy was extremely deep. It was soul spirit stuff. And I've tried to reflect a little bit of that in Saturdays with Billy without violating any confidentialities, mm -hmm. which I would never do. But the closer I got to him, the more I realized that he did not have clay feet. Isn't that amazing? Mm. I, I was with Mr. Graham at his most private. And he was the same person as he was in the pulpit at his most public. Wow. His walk was a mirror image of his talk. He, 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 he showed forth the face of God's grace in his planning, in his preparation, in the writing of books that we did together, in his conversations on the telephone, in his response to difficult places, in the handling of some of the regrets that he had in his life, uh, some of the things that he had to deal with. How about this one, Bob? In, in the changes that took place as he became older. It happens to all of us. You know, our hair changes color. We get older. We become a little bit more uh, incapacitated. Well, Mr. Graham's, I was with him holding his hand as this world person saw his world become reduced until we ended up in one bedroom. Hmm. I want you to just think about that. Wow. Hmm. The world ended up in one bedroom, not just in one home. We went from the world stadiums, from New Delhi, from Africa, from all over the United States, everywhere in the world, to the United States, to South Carolina, to a home beautiful home up on the mountains of Montreat to a few rooms to one room mm. to a casket in which he was not there. Mr. Graham was not in that casket when we carried him to the capital of the United States of America. He was in heaven. He was not there. That was just his remains, and he believed in that. He and I talked about that relentlessly. Don Wilton here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website, theencouragingword.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Wesley J. Smith. He is chair and senior fellow at the Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism. In our recent conversation, he talked about the recommendation of some to give rights to inanimate objects. In a case out of Florida, waterways. There's a constitutional amendment being proposed in the Sunshine State. Some observations and perspective now from Wesley J. Smith. This is a subset of a larger uh, advocacy, uh, radical environmentalist advocacy uh, called nature rights. That is to grant human-style rights to nature. Uh, this particular Florida initiative pretends to be about clean water, but it isn't. It's about the rights of waterways. And let me read for your listeners the actual uh, 
language from the petition, from the initiative that if the petition gets 900,000 signatures and you know they've got a lot of paid signature gatherers out there saying, hey, this is about clean water, sign here, that mm. it could make the ballot. And here's what it says. The Everglades, Florida Springs, the Indian River Lagoon, and then it mentions other bodies of water, and all other Florida waters have a right to clean water, meaning the water has the right to clean water. And that right shall include the rights of those waters to exist, flow, be free from pollution, and maintain a healthy ecosystem, close quote. Now, what that means is that any human activity that interferes with the flow of a waterway, for example, you put in a flood control project, you are interfering with the natural flow of that waterway when you do that. That violates the rights of the waterway. Uh, pollution, when, if you're boating, you might be polluting the water to a certain degree. When you put up docks, you're interfering with the natural uh, shoreline of uh, where you're putting in the docks and so forth. And so you could see how this measure could be used to thwart a, a, a substantial amount of the proper use of, of by humans of waterways in Florida. And then people will say, well, you know, they'll laugh, ha, ha, how can the waters sue because the waters are just geological features? They're not animate. They're not sentient, right? Well, here's sure. what the, the constitutional uh, amendment would permit. Quote, any resident, non-governmental organization or government entity of the state shall have standing to enforce and defend the rights secured by this section in any court possessing proper jurisdictions. In other words, in other words, anybody, the most radical environmentalist would have standing to say your use of the water is violating the water's rights or channeling this underground spring uh, for drinking water violates the right of that underground spring to flow. And it basically could bring human enterprise using water to a halt because A, anyone could sue and B, how are you going to get liability insurance when the insurance companies know that anyone can sue and they would be on the uh, hook for the cost of defense. So even if these lawsuits failed, you'd still have to defend them in court to get them thrown out. And I'm not sure they would be thrown out because you created a constitutional amendment. It's an ideology and it's an anti-human ideology. Uh, they have moved. Uh, and in fact, uh, anti-humanism in my view is beginning to take over the environmentalist movement. Environmentalism isn't just about conservation anymore. It isn't just about protecting endangered species anymore. It is becoming a means of trying to thwart human thriving. It's also being used as a means of interfering with free market capitalism because a lot of this is aimed at uh, preventing uh, big corporations from, from doing well. In the larger nature rights movement, um, the target is uh, fossil fuels. And so you've had more than 30 um, municipalities in the United States pass rights of nature kinds of um, laws or ordinances to prevent uh, the use of uh, fracking, as an example. Pittsburgh did that. Uh, Toronto, uh, with only 9% of the people voting, because people don't take this stuff seriously, Bob. Hmm. The people who take this seriously are the proponents. The reason these things pass is that many people look at that and they go, oh, well, that's insane. That'll never pass. Well, that's exactly how it passes, because people don't take this seriously. These people do not share your worldview. 
and as you said earlier, and and one of the things that I think a lot of people who listen to shows like yours can't get through their heads is that people actually believe these other uh, uh, perspectives as fervently as they do mm. believe the, the, the pro-life or the sanctity of human life perspective. Wesley J. Smith here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the Discovery Institute website. That is discovery.org. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. Also, there are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as to iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And there's The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you go to Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Continuing with the intersection now, it's Carolyn Miller. She lives in Australia and writes novels set during what is known as the Regency period of British history in the early 19th century. Her most recent work is the first installment in the new Regency Wallflower series, and the name of the book is Dusk's Darkest Shores. In this work, she highlights a woman who is strong with an independent spirit, but with a dependence on God and a desire to serve Him. With some insight now, this is Carolyn Miller. So I guess Mary is somebody who has been seeking God and mm. dares to believe that the Bible and what the Bible says about people is actually true, which is a pretty radical concept when you when you really sort of start to apply Bible truth to your life. Um, and in a society where women are expected to get married young, and expected to not really marry for love. Um, it's just a social thing that you do. But if the social opportunities, if they don't arrive, well, what are you gonna do? You're just basically left there. So I guess she's had time to um, identify herself, not as in relation to a man, but I guess to see her purpose um, in terms of what she does rather than, you know, um, what she isn't, if that makes sense. So she can, she knows that she has giftings in terms of healing and helping other people. Um, she finds a sense of worth in helping her father in um, contributing to her small village. Um, and I think in that regard, she is quite radical for a woman of that time because um, <laughs> for a lot of women, they if they had some sort of social aristocratic kind of title deal, they might not necessarily have a great or be seen to have a great deal of purpose. Um, where, <laughs> and you've got the other opposite end of the spectrum where you've got people who are, are poor, who whose purpose basically is just to survive and make food and, you know, care for their families and stuff like that. So she's kind of in the middle of trying to find her identity um, but 
but feeling a degree of um, assurance within that. And you can do that because she has a father who has been quite liberal, um, particularly for those days, but recognises her gifts. I would like for you to introduce our listeners to, is it Adam Edgerton? Yes. Adam Edgerton is a war hero who basically uh, has been talked up in the village about being this this war hero. And everyone's super duper excited about him returning until they discover that he has fallen victim to the effects of an insidious disease, which I'm not going to tell you what those effects are. (laughs) But um, he's someone who's really struggling with his sense of worth because he has been a particular sort of person. So, you know, a little bit alpha male, a little bit able, quite capable, all that sort of stuff. And then returning to his little village, returning to his family, returning to the family farm when he's incapacitated um, is a great big shock to the system. And he struggles with that. And I think it's been really wonderful to see readers respond so sympathetically to him because I think a lot of us have an idea about who we are and then we're placed in situations that really challenge that and then we see <laughs> we, we kind of see who we are and it might not always be the, the vision that we had originally hoped for and so I think that sort of makes his story quite relatable and um you know, he has a good sense of humour when he eventually finds it. <laughs> and the characteristics <laughs> that made him a war hero, um, we eventually get to see. But it's a bit of a journey. It's a bit of a process. Just like for all of us, it's a bit of a process, isn't it, to come into the light after challenges and periods of darkness. So, yes, so, he's a good guy. So where Riedel's is sure. <laughs> So where is Adam spiritually during all of this? Oh, that's a good question. So I think, I think he's um, probably been like most people and just sort of assumed his faith and it's never really been tested. But now it's been tested to the core and um, he's really struggled. He's really um, felt quite challenged about why this has happened to him. Um, and it's the usual sort of thing, where is God when this happens, etc. And I think he finds Mary's quiet faith and assurance that God is still good and God is still working things out for good. He finds that confronting and challenging, but also something that he can actually grasp a hold of. Carolyn Miller here on The Intersection. You can find her online at carolynmillerauthor.com. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Jeff Hunt, director of the Centennial Institute, which is the public policy arm of Colorado Christian University. In our recent conversation, he gave an overview about the philosophy of the school and the institute. He concentrated on issues about which Christians can be aware and involved. Here now from that conversation is Jeff Hunt. We want to impact our culture, and the university wants to make a difference in our culture. We can no longer abide by the idea that somebody out there making laws is going to have our best interest. In fact, if you look at our country, it is separating really from a biblical worldview. You have those that support a biblical worldview and limited government and stand strong for the importance of family and the sanctity of life. 
And then you have those that are leading this country in an anti-biblical way. And, you know, we're not in the business of supporting parties or candidates, but if you just look at the policies, what the result is you have a, a, a division taking place. Uh, an example is what's happened in Colorado with comprehensive sex education. This is what's taught to students, 90% of our students in Colorado who are in our government-run schools. Well, it is just completely anti-biblical. In fact, when the first bill came out, they wanted to specifically ban the teaching of traditional family values when it came to sex education. Well, we can't just stand by and allow generations and generations of kids to be brought up with this type of worldview and expect our country to continue to flourish. In fact, a lot of the problems we have, the homeless problems, the drug use problems, uh, all stem from a breakdown of the family and from bad laws that are written uh, by anti-biblical secular uh, leaders in this country. And so uh, the university wanted to make an impact. The Centennial Institute's been around for 12 years now, founded just around the time that we began our main event, which is the Western Conservative Summit. But we got the name the Centennial Institute, Institute because Colorado is the centennial state. It was founded in 1876, hmm. 100 years after the founding of this great country. When we look at data that says that young adults are moving away from a Christian worldview perspective, it sounds like to me that you are strategically placed in order to reverse that trend. Oh, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. And, you know, a lot of that, th those trends that you see of people leaving faith, there's a variety of reasons that could be happening. One is education, culture continues to reject God. I, unfortunately, it seems like we're willing to accept everything else in the world except for God. In fact, I saw recently uh, a, a commentator went out to a college campus and asked the college students a simple question, a very simple question. What is a woman? And they couldn't answer it. I mean, it was just shocking. So, I mean, these young people, they, they, they have no foundation. They have no biblical worldview. They've been raised through government education uh, to reject faith. They're lost. They can't answer the simple questions of what a woman is because of uh, the kind of the culture and the zeitgeist of the time. So uh, we are, you're absolutely right. We are positioned right here. In the midst of a culture, we speak in the public square, we want to make a difference, and we want to raise up these people to go into the community and to make a difference for Christ. You know, we get comments oftentimes from major corporations that they love our students simply because they have a biblical worldview. They don't steal from the company. It's, it's becoming almost that simple. Um, Christian kids are raised with a good, for, uh, good moral foundation they're, they're great workers, they're, and these corporations are recognizing that. Even these secular corporations, they're just happy to have people that don't steal from them. I mean, uh, it is shocking how far our, we've lost this generation, but institutions like Colorado Christian University want to make a difference. They want to raise disciples, and we're passionate. We're going to stand strong right where we are because uh, our country needs universities like Colorado Christian University. Jeff Hunt here on The Intersection, a conversation taking place prior to the recent Western Conservative Summit in Colorado. The Centennial Institute website is centennial.ccu.edu. This is The Intersection podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. 
At that homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. Also, there are links to get to the podcast through the Media Center as well as iTunes. To the Media Center as well as iTunes, two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.